Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Bomer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. If you know me, you know how obsessed I am with live performance. To me, nothing replaces being in a theater and the lights going down and the orchestra starts to play and that first moment of magic. And I know the way I feel about theater. Some people feel about sports or opera or dance or comedy or food. And what if there was a place that you could go and find out which live events are going on near you, and then for a discount price, you can get off your couch, put down that clicker, and experience the magic that is live performance? Well, there is a place, goldstar.com. You just go to that website, you type in your city, and every amazing live event will be listed at discount prices. Theater, dance, comedy, film, food, concerts, sports. No more staying home. You are going to go out and build memories and experiences that expand your mind and heart through live performance with GoldStar.com. GoldStar is in 26 cities around the country. So go to GoldStar.com. Get out of your house and build memories that are magic for you and your family. Expand your mind. Expand your hearts. Go see live performance by using goldstar.com. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. When Alex Lacamoire, the conductor and musical director and arranger of Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen, among others, was asked to describe her voice, he said it was the perfect blend of musicality and actor and theater and pop, and her voice is divine. Welcome, dear Evan Hansen's Laura Dreyfus, to my live podcast event at the W Hotel. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the W Hotel, Times Square. And a big round of applause for my magnificent guest, Laura Dreyfus. Thank you. It is a thrill to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Uh, it is a thrill that you are not on stage at Dear Evan Hansen right now, only because it means that you can be here with us tonight. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, 
which I really don't know much about, and I don't know if anyone here knows much about, but when did you, Laura Dreyfus, a voice that Alex Lacamoire described as divine, as we just said in our little-known fact, when did you realize you can sing better than most human beings <laughs> <laughs> on the planet? Um, I don't know. I think, well, okay. I think the first moment I realized I could sing was when I was probably around six years old and I saw Les Mis on Broadway and I watched the little Cosette sing Castle on a Cloud and I thought, I can do that. And I thought, like, that's something I want to do. And I remember my sister, she's 10 years older and she did musical theater and she was actually on Broadway and I watched her sing my whole life and I remember we did um, a little snippet of Meet Me in St. Louis when we were in high school, or she was in high school, and I sang... The like, have yourself a merry little Christmas. I'm and familiar with yes. that tune, even though I'm Jewish. It's very popular. It's a beautiful Judy Garland moment, <laughs> and I played Tootie, and that was kind of my first moment, like, introdu like introduced to performing, and I thought I I could definitely do this. So your sister was a child performer. No, she went to NYU and then okay. graduated early to do Mamma Mia on Broadway. The original cast. Wow. Yeah. So she, it's in the blood. Did your parents, were they musical or into taking you to the arts or sort of what was their influence in that way? Um, I grew up in New Jersey, in Me Morris too. County. Me too. Who, anyone here from Jersey hey. besides us? Yeah, nice. Morris County. Um, that's where I'm from. And so, you know, as you know, it's very easy to get into Manhattan. And yeah. um, my mom loves musical theater, so that was a part of our childhood was going as much as we could. So did you use school plays, or did you take singing lessons and dance lessons? I remember a ballet class here and there. Um, it was a little traumatic. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I didn't really take a lot of class until I was in middle school, and then high school I did all of the plays and everything when I realized that this was something I wanted to do seriously. Yeah. So you found your people. Yeah. Well... I don't think I'm the only one here who's familiar with a television show that was pretty successful called Glee. Um, <laughs> and you not only sang, but I, in my deep dive to the world of Laura Dreyfus in preparing for this, I watched you very carefully in every scene of Glee. You're dancing really well on that show. It's a lot of editing. It is. It's all. <laughs> it's like the magic of TV. They just like cut to another person when you mess up. Just when you're like, that's good. That's yeah, very yeah, yeah. lucky. <laughs> All right, well, before we get to Glee, there was a tremendous amount of theater already happening for you before Dear Evan. Are you familiar that Laura was in a little show called Dear Evan Hansen that won the Tony Award? Um, so for many of us who are just passionate consumers and lovers of Broadway, that was an introduction to sort of the depth of your talent in a global way. But before that, there was a resume building up that, that led you to that moment, to getting that show. So after high school, middle school and high school, where you were doing these shows, you, um, you went to a conservatory? Yeah, I went to Boston Conservatory for musical theater. Um, and then I graduated. And then pretty shortly after that, um, I did the national tour of Hair with Mike Everest, our friend over there. Um, and then... Was that your first professional job? Mm -hmm. 
So yeah. can you tell us about the idea of you going from someone studying it to having a sister who did it to being someone who is now professionally paid to be an actress? Yeah, I remember getting the call um, from Ben Sands, our, my agent and a friend of yours. Ben Sands, Laura's agent, <laughs> is, is very much responsible for why she's here today because he's a listener of the podcast and it was... Um, Will Laura do it? Yes. There we go. He's one of those people where if he tells me I should do something, I just listen. I really he's always great about that. But um, no, he it's very special. He actually called me to tell me that I got the job. And I remember um, it was the summer after I had graduated and I was in my mom's house in New Jersey and I was in the kitchen and I just started crying. And I remember it was like a very memorable moment. And then I immediately called my sister and told yeah. her and she started crying. And it was a really special thing. And that's, you know, how I got my equity card and... Was it a hard job to get? Was it a very long audition period? I think I remember two auditions. Like the first, pro no, actually, this is a cool story. There was a giant open call, like a cattle call where they did like all non-equity people. And I went to that. And I remember going in and I sang a song and then um, Jordan, the casting director from the public was like, can you sing Frank Mills? And I was like, I don't know all the words. And he was like, it's okay, it's okay. And I was like, all right. And then I left and I got on the bus back to Boston and I was like, I blew it. And I was so sad. And um, I was like, I should have learned the words. What was I thinking? And then uh, fast forward, I went to another open call and coincidentally my agent had sent me in to have an actual appointment. And so I went to that. And then they were like, weren't you just here? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, but this time I brought words. Yeah. <laughs> this time I learned the words and I brought them and I'm ready to perform them. Um, so does that mean you got a, a, an agent while you were in college? Yeah. Yeah. So we did a showcase. That's how I met my agent. And I followed him pretty much after he went anywhere he went. So... Yeah, so then I was at the first day of rehearsal after I'd gotten the job because after that appointment there was another callback and that was it. And um, and then in the audition, or sorry, in the rehearsal room, Jordan came up to me and he was like, remember that crazy open call with like thousands and thousands of people that were all lining the streets? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, you were the only person we cast from that. That is unbelievable. Like, what? And so wow. it made me realize that it actually is possible. Like if you are right for something and you can get seen, there is... I don't know. I feel like a lot of times as an actor, you think psychologically it's not possible, but right. it really is. That is incredible. So when you went to the open call, was that like looking in backstage and I'm, I see there's an open call? Or was your agent like, I can't get you in, so go to the open call? No, this call. was before I even had an agent. That's why. All right. So, so this was, yeah. Subsequently, you then had an agent. who got, And they remembered you. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to say when Jordan was like, were you the girl at the open call? You were like, no, I was not. <laughs> this was my first time. I don't, Jordan, don't recall. That, that's me. That's my I've instinct. always known Frank Mills. What do you mean? <laughs> my favorite song. Sang it as soon as I was born. But that's because I'm a liar. <laughs> My instinct is always like, nope. No. no it wasn't me. Um, hair has nudity. Yes. I remember that from my childhood. It was a very big deal. Like, mm -hmm. my parents had, like, a lot of conversations. Should they take me? Should they not take me? But I was like, I've seen a chorus line. They mm -hmm. were like, that. there was no nudity in chorus line. But I was like, there was language. Did you have any anxiety about being wait can I just interrupt myself yeah Ben our mutual friend yeah. Ben Platt do you guys know who Ben Platt is he's going places before he left Columbia 
to go to do Book of Mormon in Chicago. He did one musical at Columbia that I saw him in, and it was hair. And it was hair. He was yes. Claude. Yes. I know this. There you go. So <laughs> did you guys used to sing hair backstage sometimes? Weirdly, no. Okay. Um, I I'll wish. have to edit all no, of let's, this No, let's pretend that was a memory. Yes, we did. Yes, Frank Mills. <laughs> Lie. I knew Frank Mills from the day I was born. Yes. Exactly. Anyway, so did you have any thoughts about nudity? Um, at first, I was anxious about it just because it was something I had never done. And then I remember talking to my mom about it. And I knew, because my mom is very conservative, very Catholic, and I thought for sure she would be very against it. And she was the one who was like, I mean, it's a Tony Award-winning production. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, all right, well, maybe yeah. I'm open to this. And sure enough, I, it, and, and then again, it was optional. Like, we didn't all have to do it. Um, and a lot of, and a few people opted out. But I remember the first time actually doing it, I was a swing, so I, I went on not with everybody else at the time. And my first time on, I thought, this is actually very beautiful, and there's no part of me that feels unsafe or uncomfortable. And, and then I remember even after certain productions, we'd have audience members who would say things like, I just can't get over the nudity. Like, I can't believe you do that. And, and I remember thinking, like, if you remember how the production ends... Claude is laying on the flag and it's this beautiful moment where you realize like the sacrifice of war and and that moral battle that we have with it and I remember thinking like if that's not what you're taking away and the nudity is what you're taking away then we have to be naked <laughs> like there's yeah. something about that that makes me feel like no this is necessary because if that's what's shocking you and not this like lasting ending image then that's a conversation you should have with yourself. Yeah, definitely. I have had a few occasions where I've had some sort of disrobing going on in my work and in my life, but more in my work. And I'm fine with it until the nights that my parents, Bob and Helen Levine, are in the audience. Um, it's all fine until the nights that you know they're there. So yeah. did your sweet conservative mom come to see the show she came many times yes and you were okay you know i don't think it was the nudity that bothered her because it wasn't sexual i think right. it was like the other sexual things in the show that really upset her yeah. and she's <laughs> right to be upset she's yeah. not wrong no and i don't think she was prepared for it either <laughs> but that ended up being sort of this marvelous synergy because when you got Glee and you were cast as a twin, mm -hmm. who played your twin? My good friend, Billy Lewis, who was on tour with me. Which is incredible. I so know. that must have been, was Glee your first big television job? Yeah, that was my first television job, period. Yeah. Okay. There is another one that's come up since then that we will talk about uh, momentarily. Glee is one of these shows that you watch it and then, and then you find yourself watching it again for some reason, especially if you love musical theater. Um, because even though the acting was amazing and the storyline was actually a very compelling soap opera, every single song that you love for musical theater or just pop music, you would see fully staged as if it was like a Lady Gaga concert. Mm -hmm. So. I want to ask you two things. One, I want to hear about the process of getting that show because I imagine it was not like the easiest job to get. And then I want to know what it was to do. It was like summer stock. Like you would do a musical every single week. And yeah. so I'd love for you to take us behind the scenes a bit of what it is to get that job and then what it is to do that job. 
It's very fast. All of it happens very quickly. Um, and I remember actually doing the workshop of Dear Evan Hansen, the very first one that I'd done. And I think it was Is that only... before it even went to DC, mm -hmm. just in New York? Yeah, it was like private reading. I think the, that was the first time they were doing it for investors. So it was a very important one for them. And I sure. remember doing that and I got, I auditioned for Glee on tape with Telsey like weeks ago and then got a phone call the weekend before that like special performance for Dear Evan Hansen, like that special viewing for the investors and, um, and my agent called and was like, hey, Glee wants to fly you out to LA to screen test. Remember when you auditioned for it? And I was like, well, I, I can't. Like, I, 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 have I have a very special reading. Yes. <laughs> and it was that weird thing where if it were any other show, I probably would have been like, you know what? I'm sorry. You, I can't make it. And they would have figured it out. But there was something about that production. And I think all of us in Dear Evan Hansen from the very beginning felt that way, that there was, it was very special. So you had already been in rehearsal for that reading mm -hmm. when you got the call about yeah. going to L.A. So how did you negotiate that? Um, I think it was just the magic of my agents and then the casting was very willing to work around it. I basically told them, like, you just have to figure something out. So I ended up flying on a red eye, screen tested, flew back on a red eye, and then made it 6 a.m. for that... Um, for the reading. For the, yeah. So when you do a screen test for Glee, what mm -hmm. did that entail? It was actually very intimidating because we were on set in that giant auditorium and I was sitting backstage with a friend of mine actually who was going in for the same thing and wait she was she was screen testing for the same part yeah and we were both just sitting there laughing about how weird life is and how weird this whole experience is and um she went first and then I went and then it was in like that giant stage auditorium where they do all the performances so it just felt very massive and it was like four is people is that a sound stage yeah okay it's yeah. not an actual high school no 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 it okay. was at Paramount in okay. LA yeah. And what did you have to do? I had to sing two songs, and then I did some scenes from the show. No choreography? No. Thank I probably wouldn't God. have been hired. Yeah. <laughs> did you see your friend? Was he there screen testing at the same time? Billy was actually, I think, a few days after me, so we missed each other. But we actually never even... We weren't even auditioning for the same part, and then they ended up giving us the twins without having seen us read together. It was very cosmic in a way. That's yeah. incredible. When you left that screen test, did you have any sense of whether the part was yours or not? No, I had a feeling it went really well, but I've sort of learned to just accept that you can't tell anything because there are so many factors that you don't have control over. So I just sort of felt, you know, I did a great job and I felt good about it and that's all I can... So you come home. So had you auditioned to do the workshop of Dear Evan Hansen? Yeah, I had, an, I had one audition for that. And was that uh, done in like a staged reading form? Did you, did you do a full-on staging of it? What was the process for that reading? For, was it for Stacey Mindich and others yeah. at the time? So Stacey had been a part of it from the very beginning because she contacted Pasek and Paul right. and basically told them, write what you want, I will be here to help. Right. Um, so, no, she was a part of it from the beginning, but that, that performance that we did was pretty much just for, I think, theaters, for anyone who wanted to invest, and it was, you know, a very early on part of, you know, what musicals do. So can you talk about, 
it, it is, is it apocryphal or true that for the very first reading, no one had seen any of the material until they sat down at that table and yeah. opened the script? Yeah. So when you auditioned for that reading, what did you have to do? Um, they actually sent me Requiem to learn, which was very difficult because there was no recordings of it. So I had to learn it from the... Morse Music? code. There was some Morse Basically, code. Basically, yes. There was Morse code, and I had to feel the vibrations. Uh -huh. and, um, and whoever could <laughs> got the part. Exactly. You're amazing. You know what? I knew Frank Mills from the day I was born. Exactly. So. You were a military girl. Um, <laughs> so you, you got the song. You somehow sang it uh -huh. uh, and have gone on to sing it many times in, in, like it was written for you, really. Like, talk about music that fits someone like a glove and yeah. all of the cast it really feels that way when you saw the original cast it would be hard to imagine anyone else well we were fortunate because we had so much time with it from the very beginning so they were really able to work with us and i know they changed the key of requiem i think three times um, did they tell you <laughs> oh yeah no it was like it, it feels <laughs> really high today what's happening <laughs> All of a sudden, I can't sing I can't it. Sing anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, we 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 had they a lot found of fun. It. Yeah, we had a lot of fun because you know Patsy and Paul are both men, so it's it's trickier, I think, for them to write songs in the key for women because they have sure. to you know do a lot of thinking in their head about yeah. what women do. Yes, and what so, they sound like. Yeah, so that was fun to work with them on that. So can you take us back to the very first time you heard that play beginning to end, read out loud? Yes, it was the probably second day of rehearsal, and we just sat down and read the whole thing through, and it was really magical. I mean, we all really knew. I mean, from day one, it was so special, and the the book and the music it was just so unique and none of us had ever heard a story like that told before in this way and it was so human and real and it was like that from day one and I think I mean it says a lot about the creators and it was really felt by all of us so it was a really special thing for us I just had Stephen Levinson who wrote the the book uh for Dear Evan Hansen on the podcast, and he was saying what was really incredible is that much of the original work remains, and then the thrill of sort of, the kismet of finding the people that he and Pasek and Paul had imagined in their head, actually showing up um, as if they had conjured all of you into the room, uh, that even though things change, the reason they change is that they were able to kind of just hear your voices as, as the piece grew and sort of grow it on you in that way. Um, which makes me wonder, obviously Ben ended up creating an Evan Hansen that was really magical to have at the center of this piece. And all of you, the Murphys felt like a family and the Connors felt like a family. And no, the Connor Murphy. <laughs> Wait, Stephen told me what your last name was originally. Do you remember? Oh, it I've wasn't only known always it. Murphy. Oh, it was something else, and I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, that's why I said Connor, but that's not. It what was it a is. weird name. But I yeah. was like, no, Connor Murphy's better. Murphy it has to um, be. And and I guess the other last name is Hanson. Yeah. That you and Ben found a way to just fall in love so deeply, so quickly. It yeah. seemed like um, really resonated for all of us who got to see it. Was that something where you kind of from day one felt 
this magic between the two of you? Yeah. Um, it was pretty special. No. No, I was, I was actually thinking in my head, I should just come up with like a really funny joke yes. where I say we hated each other, but then I couldn't. No. Right. Um, <laughs> he's too good. He's I too know, good a person. He's so pure and sweet and wonderful. And I think from day one, we both just were so honest with the material and ourselves. And I think that it was our love for this show that initially brought us together, but then eventually like... I don't know, we're definitely soulmates in a way that we just aren't meant to be together in this world. So yeah. it was really cool to be able to work on this show with him and discover these characters and discover the heart and the you know life of them together. When you rehearsed that show, did you rehearse it like a play in some ways where you were able to dive into the scene work? Because it's such a strong book yeah. for a musical. We, every, every cast member um, from day one would say this is like a play that has beautiful music. Um, which I feel like it almost reminded me of Once in that way. Mm -hmm. it, which you had done. Yeah. Is that your Broadway debut? Mm, no, hair technically was. Okay. But yes. Um, once it felt like this is a beautiful, beautiful play and there just happens to be incredible music that just makes it even more beautiful. So yeah, it was very similar for us with Dear Evan Hansen and we had to rehearse the scene work like you would a play. Right. And I think everyone was very much aware of like, this is what makes it so special, is this story. Um, and on top of it, this music that just elevates it to this other place. I, I have told people this before, I had the great luxury of getting to see Dear Evan Hansen a few times, and maybe luxury isn't the word, but the great privilege of seeing the show many times. Um, but I developed a way to get through it, which is when Rachel Bay Jones was about to sing So Big, So Small, mm -hmm. um, I would dig my nails as deeply as I possibly could into my arm because I just couldn't handle the amount of crying that would be happening. So that was my um, personal way of battling the endless tears yeah. that would happen. Um, but there were many moments in that show that I would see it over and over again and how remarkably they only deepened over the course of time and it started to feel almost like a documentary. Like it was a really strange thing in terms of how deeply connected you all felt to those parts to me. Yeah, I think that's a testament to the writers. I think that they allowed us to discover these characters and then they recognized that the way, I, I don't know, I mean, I might be biased, but I believe that the best theater comes from work that collaborates with actors and it doesn't just put something onto actors. It mm -hmm. makes people feel like we're creating this together. So then when you see something, you always see a piece of that human that's performing it. Um, and then that always translates for whoever continues to take over. But um, like I always say, Stephen Hoggett works that way and like John Tiffany, where they, they believe that people need to be a part of the work that they're doing. So that always resonated from us from day one because we felt like we were very much a part of this process and we were creating these characters and it wasn't just saying the words that were written. And every day I would see like Steven Levinson in the corner like mouthing to himself because he was like going through like people's vocal patterns and trying to think of ways to make something sound more authentic to them. And um, that was cool to witness and be a part of. That kind of creative process. Yeah. When you started, Pasek and Paul were like these young, they had a reputation, but they were still like these 
young upstarts. Yeah. And I would say that through the process of this show, so many people broke out into kind of a mega stardom. Um, and also it was a show about social media happening during a time where social media for all of us has become endlessly compelling and uh, a megaphone in ways for, for positive and negative messages. You were at the center of this moment. I remember when Rent happened and the beginning of the community that formed around that and Rent Heads and people like that is you would stay out all night in front of the theater to get like a really cheap ticket and communities were formed because you were up all night with people who had this passion and it was even before MySpace. However people found each other, yeah. there were these whole worlds of people kind of falling in love with the same thing at the same time. Um, now that's sort of all turned on its head because not only are there chat rooms or Playbill Online, there's like, you can go to the stage door. Mm -hmm. You can tweet to Laura Dreyfus and Laura might tweet back to you. Like it's a whole new, it's a game changer. Um, how do you handle uh, the fact that there's no longer, there's, I mean, there's never a nine to five-ish-ness about a theater job, but there's like a half, you know, seven to 10 or 11. <laughs> yeah. So now there's this idea of being available all the time, producers putting pressure on actors to participate in it. There's a gift that this show has brought you and then there's also like a tremendous amount it asks of you. Yeah, I think with social media in general, it's it's a big responsibility because it's so powerful and it can go so wrong or so right. Sure. And it all depends on how you use it. And I think it's very easy. I know I have an I have a a tendency to want to do this where if I see something that's like it's infuriating or I, I want to get angry about it. Then Do I you mean like in politics or yeah. personally? I mean in politics or even if someone tweets something mean or, you know, like there are so many reasons why you could ever want to be negative online and, and, and it's such like a, it feels like a power, like you have this power to like say something and then I, we all do. I mean, we all have this megaphone now with social media. So it's like, it's questioning yourself and wondering like, how am I, bettering society by saying this. And I think that as humans, we have that responsibility. Um, and so with social media, then comes this responsibility. So it's like, I think we should get loud and we should get angry about certain things, but then there are other things where we should be promoting positivity and finding solutions rather than just pure rage. Um, Do you take a lot of time before you tweet something or are you a knee jerk? I'd like Twitter. to say that I was so, <laughs> if I, that I'm like so deliberate and conscientious, but I think it, it goes both ways. Sometimes I just want to tweet about food and then sometimes I want to like find solutions to help our world get better because it's a little rough at the moment. But um, no, but I think it's interesting because we all have, we all do have this power and, and it does bring people together and that's the beauty of what I got to witness with Dear Evan Hansen was seeing these groups of people find friends. Like I've seen like fans find each other because they mutually adore this actor or this show and that makes everyone feel better to find a community. So that's a really special thing. And like we, we didn't really have something like that 15 years ago. So this is it's really cool. And I think we're still discovering how to maneuver and navigate it, but. 
Yeah. So Ben Platt and you create the roles of Evan and Zoe magnificently and beautifully. And we really believed in that couple. And we really believed in the friendship. And we really are relieved. You know, the orchard scene is so extraordinary because it just feels hopeful. After all we've been through as an audience, after all you've put on stage for us all night, A, it's just one of the most stunningly beautiful visual pictures scenically. David Corns and your lighting designer, everyone just made it so beautiful. Um, but also, it's, there's just relief and a release. You have, before you left the show, you had two other Evan Hansons. I know understudies went on at different times, but what was that like to kind of experience this role with other people along the way? It was really cool. I think that you only get to learn more about a character and more about a show when you have different actors inhabiting it. Um, and so that was a really fun treat to get to work with those awesome actors, Noah and Taylor. I mean, Taylor I got to work with a lot longer and that was really special because he's such like, he's like one of the best actors in New York. Um, so that was really cool and I think just finding things, finding different things, finding different moments, and then other moments that were just so pure to Ben and I, and then finding something that was very specific to Taylor and I, or Noah and I, and that was really cool to figure that out. Did you feel like you had to work hard at staying sort of buoyant and light in your daily life because the journey of the play was so heart-wrenching? Yes. <laughs> and how did you, first of all, I used to watch your Instagram stories, Laura had this hilarious, it was like you were Joan Rivers, and I don't know, who, who is your friend? <laughs> it was like, we're having ice cream today. Like, it was so... It was products and politics. Yes. Yeah. Wait, wait, what was it called in politics? Products and politics. Right. We talked about a product, and then we talked about politics. Exactly. And it was so unlikely. I could imagine if that were my Instagram story, people would be like, that's Alana just talking politics and products. But to have this beautiful, young, non-Jewish person... What was that? Well, listen, as a Jersey Italian, yes. it felt very natural yes. to want to discuss a product and then talk about politics. And uh, <laughs> it was my best friend Emily Afton and I basically just started doing it for fun. And um, it's funny, I would get a lot of angry messages from people being like, I hate these stories. I hate, I hate that you talk about politics. And like everyone would get And angry. products. Yeah. And then people would be like, don't ever stop doing this. So I don't think we ever will stop. But it's funny how it really causes a reaction. People either love it or hate it. Right. Well, they're very happy when you post about your dog. We know 100%. We all love Banjo. We all yes. love Banjo. And you can do that. So was that an example of something silly and fun just to do because the other 23 hours of the day were about a brother who had committed suicide and yes. the person you love being a a liar. Yes, yes, it was quite a journey um, and a lot of tears. I think I would always look forward to Mondays because I'd be like, oh, I don't have to cry. Like, there's a day of the week I don't have to cry. Um, and I think it was a lot of funny movies and a lot of food, a lot of cookies, a lot of, you know, I, I eventually had to figure out a way to be happy without the cookies because that, you know, can only go on for so long. <laughs> People say that food isn't love, but I don't know that they're right. I don't think they're right. Yeah. I um, don't think they have a soul. If they, I don't, they don't understand. 
Do you have consistent pre-show rituals for every show you do, and what was specific to that show? Honestly, that show was just laughing as much as possible. Um, and find, I think we were all very blessed because every actor was really funny as a human. And luckily for me, Jennifer, Laura Thompson, and I were on the same floor. And so we would just come up with a million different ways to make each other laugh. And then our goal was to make, if it wasn't the props guy, it was you know the stage managers or the people who didn't normally like to laugh. We would try and figure out how to make them. And that was like kind of our task and it was for everyone really we were all just trying to get each other to be as light as possible and I think it's funny because you would think a show like Dear Evan Hansen you would be very somber very, very messy you're getting into your role because it's such a serious story and we all are telling something so beautiful but I, I think in order to get to that place we just had to remember the joy and and I think even in the show we had to remember the joy because it, there is so much sadness and I think that the beauty of that show is watching these characters continually finding the joy you were in it for including dc you were this was three years of your life or longer I think four so from the first reading how long were you on broadway with the show for about a year and a half so were things sometimes when a show runs for a long time which doesn't mean the audience isn't getting 100 percent of what they paid for. But sometimes things happen on stage, like some silliness can happen that doesn't question the integrity of the show, but just allows it to remain fun mm -hmm. for you guys. Were there any sort of onstage antics that happened, like leaving little notes for people or like things in Evan's notebook or hiding yeah. things? <laughs> oh, hmm. Yeah, Crystal and I used to... She plays Alana, yes. character named for me, yes. obviously. Crystal yes. and Lloyd, who played Alana. Um, we, I got a friendship necklace from, I think, a very young fan. Um, and, and the idea was that she would have the other half, which was very sweet. And I kept it, and Crystal and I would pass it to each other. And that was kind of... We would find ways to, like, put it in random props. Um... <laughs> <laughs> like, and it started out very innocently like I would put it in her dressing room or she would put it in a shoe that I had to put on before the show started and then I'd be like haha and then I'd put on my shoe and then it progressed to she got the props guys involved and they would put it in my cereal or my backpack or my Siddhartha book that I had to read and so you'd be like Connor finished the <laughs> oh <laughs> okay yeah yeah um, so that was a fun antic and then I think um, everyone's last show, like Mike Feist's last show, I think Ben's last show, Jennifer Laura Thompson and I mooned them all when they came off the stage for their first scene. That seems fair. Yeah. <laughs> so what's really remarkable is after Dear Evan Hansen won the Tony, and, and I recently just went back and watched the moment where the show won Best Musical because I love to go back and watch now the faces of people who don't know they're about to win when they actually win. And just seeing you all on stage and Stacey Mindich's speech was so glorious and just seeing the I don't absolute... even remember it. <laughs> it was like such a blur. It's on YouTube. Oh, you can watch well, it. have to watch. You should. It was really wonderful. Or seeing Ben... Uh, right when he hears that he won. But what's really incredible is proof of what incredible friends 
Laura and Ben have become is they have gone on and have just finished filming a television series for Netflix called The Politician. Was that something that Ben had talked to you about beforehand or could he not yet talk about it? Well, we were talking about it just as friends because I knew he was doing it and this was before I was auditioning for it and it was just something that like he was doing and that was, it was pretty much like this is my next project and I think he was very excited about it but there wasn't very many conversations around it other than like... This, this is what's next for Ben Platt. Right. And for a moment Barbara Streisand was going to be For a moment, in a quick yeah. moment, yeah. Um, <laughs> now Jessica Lange, no, yeah. not too shabby. Not too shabby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that was really crazy because auditioning... For that, because I had done Glee with Ryan, Ian, and Brennan, who wrote The Politician. So it was like these two worlds that kind of weirdly collided. Did you have a long, heady audition process? Did you feel like, Ben, come on? No. <laughs> no, weirdly. It was You're... like, I mean, I think he was as shocked as I was, that it was truly kismet. Like, we... I, I had two auditions, and then, like, the last audition was the, I guess, screen test. And it was weird, because I had known those guys. For... And you had to sing Frank Mills. Yeah, and I sang Frank Mills, because I've known it since the day I was born. <laughs> exactly. Are you allowed to talk about this project, or no. are they pretty... Okay. No, it's kind of a weird interview, because I really can't talk about anything I'm doing professionally. Yeah, but, <laughs> but... there's a lot. I want to open it up before we go, if you're okay with this, to a few Happy. questions from the audience. So if you have a question, I will come over to you and give you the mic. So does anybody have a question? All right. So you were talking about um, when you were first learning Requiem, and you said you were talking about how it, obviously it never had been recorded. So did you like read sheet music for that? Is that how you learned it? Or like did someone play it for you? Yeah, so... So you know how to read sheet music? Because I was just like... I do, yes. I can plunk, I can play piano. I should say I play piano. And I was able to learn by reading the sheet music. And they had sent over a recording of them playing the piano part for it so I could hear what it would sound like under it. And I just like played the vocal line for myself and then recorded it and learned from that. But I have a follow-up question for that. So when you're rehearsing and you're sitting around the piano with the music director, would you learn things by recording it and listening over and over again? Or would you learn the songs by reading the sheet music? It was a harrowing process because Alex Lacamoire is very... Um, he's, he cares a lot about the rhythms. And so when he's... He's very particular. Very particular. And, and that's why everything he does is brilliant. But... For me, it was very hard because a lot of it was like purposefully syncopated and that was hard to learn. Yeah. And it was, I, I, I yeah. It, and then it was figuring out how to not make it sound mechanical and make it sound very natural and like it was coming from a place. And Well, the thing I want to say, I really want to, it'll be us and, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you want to you sing it? I really want to sing that with you. Um, <laughs> When that music video came out, which yeah. was sort of the first time we got to see like a snippet behind the scenes of the making of the cast album, what I always thought was so remarkable, and I felt this when I saw you on stage, and then I thought it when I watched that video one million times, literally. You're so able to just be. 
there's like no acting. It always feels so effortless. And I really thought, I mean, no acting in the best possible sense of that phrase, that it was just watching this human live and breathe in the moment with someone. And that really, if you haven't seen that video, um, is really one of the most beautiful versions of that song and a love story unfolding on camera. It's beautifully edited, but I really love that. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, we'll sing a little more for you guys in a minute. Do you remember the words? Because I have them on my yeah, phone. Yeah, if you have <laughs> the words, like on an iPad or something, we'll be great. Yeah. Only us karaoke. Who else has a question? I was wondering, are, were there any scenes or songs that were cut from the show that you really loved or wish were included? Yeah, there were a lot. Um, gosh, there was a song that the mom sang called In the Bedroom Down the Hall that was so beautiful and... I remember in the workshop when they did that, we were all crying. And then there was a beautiful song that Jennifer Laura Thompson sang called A Little Bit of Light. That was one of my favorites. And then there was this like little tiny scene that I had with Evan where I said something about, I like yelled at him for kissing me. And I was like, I, um, to sum it up, I was pretty much like, my mom really likes you being here because you make her feel like Connor is still here, but in a different way, like he's, like it's better than it was before. And then Evan says to me, I think that's what happens when people die. Um, you want to just remember them perfect. And and that those were like such beautiful lines that I think it was really hard for everyone to cut because it really says such a beautiful thing about grief and how we move through it, and it's kind of the theme of the show. And that was one of my favorite scenes in the whole show, and sadly it's gone, but <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> it's not gone anymore. Stephen Levinson told me that before it was waving through a window, I don't know if this was ever part of the actual show, that it was like waving to someone else on another deserted island. Yeah, yeah, it was like a, oh God, I can't even remember. Waving to an island, like not is good. No, no. It's good that it's a window. Um, And easier to have a window (laughs) than an island. Um, Yes. Hi, uh, is there any musical theater role or any role that you have not gotten to play that you are dying to play one day? Do you have like a dream role? Oh gosh, there are so many. Um, I'd love to do something really funny for a change. Um, like, I'd love to be, like, Winifred in... Oh, God, what's the name of that show now? Once Upon a Mattress. I was like, Once Upon a... Yeah. Deserted Island. There you go. I was off into the deserted island for a minute. (laughs) Anybody else before we say goodbye? Yes, I will come back to you. Hello, so being in such a huge... Um, successful show, you get a lot of celebrities and people in the audience. Were you ever nervous for someone? Um, did you know they were there? Like, what was yes. that whole process of like? Yes, I pretty much, um, I knew like 80% of the time because Ben always knew and then would just tell me. Um, so knowing Beyonce was there was probably the most challenging I've ever, I, I can't even form words thinking about it because it was so hard, but trying to like keep my cool and even seeing her like we knew where she was sitting and like Hillary Clinton was another one where I think like it was during Requiem and the lights were off like they were off in the sense that like they were shining directly onto her face during the whole song (laughs) and I remember getting off the stage and being so upset because I was like Hillary was just blinded 
And I was like, I, I couldn't believe, like, I was like, why did we blind her? Like, someone had to fix this and no one fixed it. And like, I, I was just so upset that like, she was blinded for my whole song. Like, I felt so bad. Um, it's but, sort of why the election didn't go her way. That's what happened. It, she was blinded she by was Requiem. Blinded by Requiem. <laughs> I am blinded by your beauty and talent and your kindness and generosity. So much of what I see talking about social media and sort of looking at the things that you're doing when you're not working are lending your voice and talent to causes that are really beautiful. There are videos online of Laura singing to kids in hospitals. There are foster care kids that you're talking about in sort of the beautiful of the legal, the beauty of the legal aid society here in New York. Animal rights, human rights. There are so many things that I see you lending your voice to. I'm so grateful to you for using your platform in such a magnificent way. The idea that you're on the planet at the same time as the rest of us is kind of a very lucky thing for all of us going around this time. I want to really thank you for being here on this rainy Sunday night at the W Hotel. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I want to thank all of you for coming. And I want to thank everyone at Broadway at the W for really um, shining a light on the remarkable talent working hard every day on Broadway to create really powerful and beautiful stories on stage and for lending your time off stage. So tip your waiters well. Thank you all for being here. This was such a remarkable privilege and pleasure for me. Thank you, Laura Dreyfus. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Do you know there are over 120 episodes of Little Known Facts with Alana Levine at this point? So if you love this one, but you're a new listener, go back to the beginning and catch up. I promise you every episode will shed a light on an artist that inspires you in a whole new way. It is such a pleasure to make this podcast for you, and I hope if you love listening as much as I love making it, that you'll head over to my website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. There's a donation page, and truly, any donation, large or small, makes such a huge impact on my being able to make over 100 more episodes for you guys, so I really, really appreciate it. I record this podcast at the Hangar Studios in New York City. If you ever are interested in making your own podcast or any kind of recording, go to thehangerstudios.com and get more information on how they make the magic happen. Thanks for listening. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 